0: This is the Women with Vision podcast, where we get real with some of the leading entrepreneurial superwomen about what it takes to build a business online and beyond with kids, husbands, and everything else.
1: Hey there, superwomen. I am so excited to have my next guest. Her name is Irene Nakamura, and she's the founder of iDepo reporters, and guardians of the record. And she helps minority businesswomen break free from the suppressive cultural traditions uh, so that they can thrive professionally and personally. And I met her through another uh, woman from one of the other book projects that we did. And I thought she was just amazing. She has a thriving business in several locations. And I love seeing women in a field that is mostly male-dominated and they're really doing... On their own thing and thriving so i'm excited to have this conversation to find out more about how you know how she got involved in this so irene how are you i'm doing
0: great i'm, I'm so, so um, grateful to be here thank you so much i appreciate this opportunity
1: yes this is awesome awesome so first of all i know that you have this company you are located in hawaii Which, first of all, you had me at Hawaii anyway, but
0: (laughs) how did you? You had me (laughs) at Aloha.
1: How did you start uh, your business and what made you even go into um, that type of work, court reporting?
0: You know, I actually um, am raised in um, Los Angeles, California, and I moved to Hawaii. Uh, not too long ago and opened up an office there, but I first started in California and being raised um, and grown up in California. Um, oh. But basically, yeah, the, the reason why I actually got into um, my business, which is the business of court reporting, which is a guardian of the record. We are those little we type on the little machines in the corner of the courtroom. I don't know if you've seen law and order or any of those court shows. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The person sitting there, because they, they usually have us, you know, with this old machine with paper flying, which never happens. And with a butt in our hair, you know, with glasses or something, mm-hmm. you know, typing like one finger at a time, which we don't, we type like, we're certified at 225 words per minute, wow. 98.5 accuracy is our exam in order to be certified.
1: Wow. Wow. So was that always a, um, a love of yours? You wanted to work as a court reporter? Was that your idea as a young girl?
0: Actually, no. I never knew what court reporter was, actually. I... I always thought that it was one of those um, reporters that went to the courthouse with a microphone and they were like, so what did you think of the verdict, you know, interviewing (laughs) jurors and attorneys and things like that. I didn't realize, you know, that it's a whole profession and, you know, it requires certification and it's actually quite interesting and, and exciting some boring at times, too, you, you know, it. but it's exciting to be a part of the legal process. Um, but I did not know that. I The, re- the reason why I actually got into that uh, profession is because growing up in my uh, culture and my family tradition, um, as a woman, uh, women were not considered... As important as men so my brother was the golden child because he was male and so I was always taught growing up you know to have a good education however it took a backseat to my brother so I knew and was told by my mother that should it come time for college and there's only enough income for one it would be my brother Mm-hmm. And so, um, college was not in the in my future. Mm.
1: That's you know, interesting.
0: until yeah, until until uh, he finished college, and he enrolled. I mean, once he finished college, then I was allowed to enroll.
1: Wow, you know that's interesting because that is um, you know it's it's it talks to also culture. Obviously, uh, it talks to uh, importance and gender biases and things like that. Um, But were your parents happy that you became a court reporter, or were they? What was their idea for you?
0: Actually, my mother was not thrilled about it, Um, but I knew I knew in high school that I didn't want to be. just a wife and have no, no, nothing to do for my own self. I never wanted that. Um, And so, uh, and with the understanding that I was not allowed to enroll into college until my brother graduated. Well, my brother ended up getting a double master's degree at Yale university by the time he graduated, he was about 31 or 32. He is five years younger than me. Oh, my gosh. So had I taken the path that my mother wanted me to take, I would have started college at about 30, 36, 37, just to enroll in college. Oh, my you know, gosh. And then start a career. So I decided, you know, I did not want to take that path. I didn't want to be... Just marry, you know, or find a man to marry. And that was my whole purpose in life. Right. Um, so I decided to enroll in court reporting school. Since I couldn't go to college, I went to uh, a trade school. And so I enrolled in court reporting school, not really understanding what it does. But I did know that it did not require math class. <laughs> so I was like, hey,
1: That is so funny. So, okay. So you went in, you started working, uh, you came with court reporter, but now you own three locations. Not everybody does that. You know, I remember uh, when I was working in court, I mean, working in uh, commercial real estate and we had to go to court for something. I remember the court reporter sitting there and are, you know, taking all the stuff in arbitration or something, whatever she was doing and you know i never really think about court reporter but i was like oh that's a real thing well so they have there you have your profession you could have just done that and gotten married and had a life but you decided that you wanted to like be a boss
0: (laughs) when did that transition happen i did and that act was accidental as well you know i was working in federal court i'm the first japanese american court reporter in the Central District of California, U.S. Wow. District Court. Um, after I left court, I um, freelanced for a while and mm-hmm. I was working <clears throat> quite a bit for this one uh, court reporting agency and they had a very um, demanding client. This attorney requested that I take his proceedings. Um Often, and um, but I was plagued with cancer, and I had cancer surgery scheduled. <clears throat> and so when they, when the request came in, they, we really need you to take this multi-day deposition for this formidable attorney who is very demanding. <clears throat> Could you please take it? And I said, well, you, you know that I have my, my, my cancer surgery scheduled. <clears throat> and so I would not be able to complete the final transcript until the following year. My, my surgery was scheduled a Friday before the cr- Christmas holiday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so they said, you know, that's fine. We need you to take it, you know, because we don't want to uh, anger him. And so I called him and asked him, Would, will it be okay if I don't turn in the final transcript until the following year? He said, of course, it's fine. And then when I attended the first day, I spoke with all opposing counsel, which there were about 40 of them. And I spoke with all of them and they all said, Oh, Irene, don't even worry about it. Judges are not even on the bench during the holidays. Mm -hmm. You don't need the transfer until next year. Perfectly fine. So I said, Okay, so I stayed on the case until the day before my scheduled surgery. The day of my my surgery, you know, apparently the agency was calling me and left me numerous, numerous Calls and phone calls and emails and everything. So after my surgery, you know, when I do get home, I realize that they had left me these very. Aggressive. Yes, very aggressive, very condescending um, messages. You are so unprofessional for not returning your calls. Oh, wow. Are told those, you know, you don't even respond to an email. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I just don't make it a practice to return phone calls during surgery.
1: Uh, you think, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let alone uh, cancer surgery. Hello, get bent. Like I was like, right. what is the heck?
0: <laughs> and so I panicked, you know, um, and I think that also plays into my culture you know the the culture of always trying to please and always trying to you know um um getting approval and and doing the the right thing so you know i ended up working on the transcript in bandages and missing holiday dinner and just you know painfully finishing up the the transcripts which there were you know 5 days of it about 250 pages a day you know so that was a lot of pages to crank out and then so I got it done and after that experience you know um since so many people were always saying oh you should open up your own shop you know I'm like no I really don't want to deal with all that but after that experience I decided I'm gonna open up my own yeah. This is ridiculous. People need to be treated with respect, um, you know, not just when they're ill, but always. Right. And I vow to have a company that will embrace that and will help empower people and will respect um, individuals, not just my core reporters, but my staff, our clients.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. That's horrible. That's horrible. Uh, Have you ever now you went and started your new company? What are some of the things that you had to go through uh, during that? You know, once you started your own company, of course, it had to come with learning curves and growing pains and ups and downs. And so what are some of the things that you had to learn once you did finally open up?
0: You know, one of the, the biggest challenges I faced was uh, hiring or employing staff. That was very challenging. Um, as a court reporter, I knew exactly what to do. You know, I knew exactly <clears throat> all the processes, but now I had to hire people to help me produce the work and run the processes. And that's where the challenges came in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, so did you
0: start your first location in LA? I did. Started my first location in LA, El Segundo, Mm -hmm. near um, LAX airport. Yeah, with a little tiny little room that can only fit two people standing up. Oh, wow.
1: Wow. Well, you know, you started, you started. How was it for you to be, you know, uh, first of all, Asian American woman uh, coming into an industry that was all Caucasian male dominated? How was that for you? And what was your experience in that that world?
0: It was terrifying. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the reasons that held me back in the first place you know I'm perfectly fine being a worker bee you know um but to actually own a company and be a boss yeah that was terrifying and you know I am in I'm trying to break through the old boys club right and you know I'm knocking on the door but they don't even open the door to see who it is cuz apparently i have at the wrong knock
1: right you know
0: so it it's it's been a challenge. It still is a
1: challenge. Yeah. How many years have you been in business?
0: <clears throat> this will be my 10th year. Wow.
1: That's yeah. impressive,
0: though. <clears throat> With zero loans, um, you know, until this year, I had to get a PPP. Yeah. yeah. You know, but um, yeah. That's but impressive. COVID, yeah. Zero loans. Um, and then been opening up. Um, I opened up an office in Hawaii, and um, that's doing pretty well now. I think that's growing at a quicker pace than it is here uh, on the mainland.
1: Okay. Wow, that's very cool. What do you think, um, you know, about your own uh, other things that you had to go through, especially with – you know, dealing with people in different cultures. I know you were saying that you did some research to support your own understanding of your own culture and about l- low self esteem and things like that. What did you learn about that?
0: You know, I did look that up and I did learn that worldwide there was a study <clears throat> about self esteem, mm-hmm. and the US came in number six, mm-hmm. actually. And Japan came in last, and I am of Japanese descent, and so that makes sense. You know, we are taught to gaman. Gaman means to endure, tolerate, hold back, don't make waves. Basically, it means suck it up. Mm. So my whole life, my mom would always say gaman, gaman, gaman. Mm-hmm. You know, like... like <clears throat> Um, okay, your brother doesn't need to get a part-time job, but you do. You need to gum on. Right. You know, you need to suck it up. That's how it is. Your brother can go to college, um, um, but you can't. You need to gum on until he's done and he's succeeded. Then you can start your journey. You need to gum on. You know, uh, don't burden other people if you if you've ever known. You know, people from Japan—they're very polite, and they yeah. <clears throat> don't want to be a burden on other people. You know, I grew up with what will, what will people say, what will people think? You know, um, don't be heard. Yeah. You know, in some cultures, we cannot even be seen. You yeah. Know. Luckily, in the states, we don't have that, <clears throat> or we may struggle with not being heard. Right. Yeah, but. as we're as
1: we're starting to see now, even more of that is starting to like come to the forefront around the problem with not being heard and or seen or being taught to be heard and or seen, because then you just aren't heard or seen ever when you need to be, when something is really going wrong and you need to be seen and heard. Um, what do you think? That does to a person's mental <clears throat> health, you know, because I think about, you know, if you have to gum on all the time as a female, you know, and you're always having to um, be the mule, uh, then how does that affect uh, mental health, do you think?
0: I think it leads to depression. I think it leads um self-sabotage even if you have an opportunity maybe you have a job promotion or you know an opportunity to be promoted but you don't apply for that promotion um or you don't apply for this job or you don't take the risk of starting your own business um or you know meet that guy or woman whoever you know and um Yeah, when I was married, you know, I, my, my mother pretty much arranged the marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, He had, uh, my grandmother did a background check on my ex-husband and made sure that, you know, I can marry him. And so I married him, even though I was not in love with him, he's a very good man. Mm -hmm. And I do love him, but I was never in love with him, Mm -hmm. you know. And so it was, you know, my mother said, you must come on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he's a good man and he's a good provider and that's what, that's your role, that's your duty. Mm-hmm. So I was married to him for many, many years and even though I was unhappy, you know, in the marriage, I was taught to just suck it up and right. come on mm-hmm. and support whatever the husband wanted or needed, you know, and that was very, very, um, self devaluing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I just felt like I had no value.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, it took quite a bit to realize, um, it took losing a child, you know, I had a, a miscarriage Yeah. and it took that to realize that,
1: you know,
0: I need to live for myself. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm important
1: too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. I know a lot of women listen to the story and they think, you know, even though you might not use the word gamma, and you might have done a little bit of sucking up and doing uh, going with what other people wanted you to do. And find yourself in a place where you're in a you know, toxic situation and you're wondering what the hell am I here just to live for them? What about me? What about my life? You know, what about my situation? What about my happiness? You know?
0: Yeah. And we're, you know, we're taught um, not to, not, not like outright not to be happy. Yeah. But, you know, how you look matters more than how you are.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, like people looking in, you know, how do you look to them? Do you look like a successful person? Right. You know, and success could be defined as married with children or status or job or profession or the house you live in, the car you drive. I'm not really sure. There's quite a bit of different judgments on how you can look right you know not just physical appearance but you know things that you own and, and yeah. do how do you look you know what schools do your children go to what you know um just all these things and but are you truly happy you know right um, we're so concerned with everybody else, that and if that's the case, if we're if you're so concerned with what everybody thinks and will say about you, your business will never grow.
1: Oh, no, Mm-mm. that's right.
0: Too afraid to take that step. Yeah, you know, you have a business and it gets to you know a certain plateau, and then you that's it, it's a plateau, you don't grow. Yeah, you just stay
1: there. That's right, it's so true. What do you think um, inspires you now to like, you know, what inspires you to keep growing and keep moving and keep getting better and, you know, and doing the things you're doing in your business or in your life?
0: You know, I now have a 100% culturally diverse team. And the the life Incidences that happen to them are just amazing. Um, You know, I I was asked to replace my director of operations. Um, If I don't replace her, I would lose business. Well, she is Mm African-American. Okay. Um, And I I turned down that business, even though it was a lot of business. Mm -hmm. you know and here she is apologizing to me saying I'm so sorry we lost this business because of me and I was telling her we didn't lose this business and don't uh because of that and you know don't apologize for being black right you know that makes me want that inspires me like look at she 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 was uh a 15-year-old who was left out on the street, yet she managed to earn a master's degree right. in management. Yeah. And she works for me. And um, I can help empower her. Yeah. She's a, an individual that needs to be empowered. Right. You know, she inspires me. Yeah. And I felt regret, you know, like, you know, being from a Japanese culture, why didn't I speak up for her? My way of speaking up for her was turning down the business for her. Yeah. But I didn't say anything. And I feel really, really bad about it.
1: Well, you know yeah. what? You don't have to feel bad about that. Because I now I do know, understand just a little bit about Asian culture. Not everything, obviously. Um, but I do know that that's how Asian culture, culturally, Asians speak up. They speak up by collectively boycotting you without saying a word. They just tell each other and then you're dead. Right. That's how it happens. (laughs) It's just like silent ninjas, like just just (laughs) everything. Right. (laughs) So don't feel bad about that. Like, you know, um, we we all get to we get better. Right. Maybe next time you'll say a little bit more than you did. But you were speaking loudly. You spoke very loudly like, I don't care how much money you're trying to bring to me, that is not worth it. And I am not a punk. I'm actually the boss. And guess what? I bossed up and I don't need your money. So that really is not silent. To be honest, that's very loud, probably louder than talking. You know? Oh,
0: well, that's good to know. Um, I'm glad you feel that way. Because that's what inspires me Mm -hmm. and now each person on my team has experienced either some kind of racial injustice or some diversity um issues Mm -hmm. you know that they've all been faced with and I'm, I now have a company where they're proud to be, and they support each other. They come from all different walks of life, and yet they all get along, and they, you know, um, back each other up, and I'm able to promote this type of, of culture, you know? Um, wow. yeah. Not really- to mention potlucks are amazing.
1: Oh, I bet. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Oh, I love this. <laughs> what advice would you give to other people that were uh, or when other women that wanted to um, start something of their own, uh, be successful in business or not hold themselves back? What are some of, the things, some of the things you would tell them to do?
0: I would tell them, don't wait till you feel you are ready, because you know what? Nobody is ever ready.
1: That's so true.
0: And don't worry about not knowing everything ahead of time on what you're going to do. You will figure it out. You need to just start. You need to get going. You need to start your plan. And don't worry if everything doesn't go exactly to plan. That's how life is. Nothing ever goes to plan. You could even plan the most perfect wedding. Something weird is gonna happen that day.
1: So true. Plan
0: on it. Plan you on know? that. So yes. Yeah. You know, and don't be afraid. Yeah. I love this. Well, and you, if you have and if you have fear, don't let it drive. Put it in the passenger seat. You can you do the driving. That's you right. Can take it with you. Fine, bring your fear with you,
1: but you know what? Drive the car. You drive the car. I love what you put down here. um, When I was asking about um, some other things around uh, helping women and giving advice, you said there's four ways women of culturally suppressive upbringings can break free and live authentically in the work in the workplace and beyond. I love these. I know you put down number one: identify your Discomfort zone. Number two, don't wait to be 100% ready.
0: Yes.
1: Number three, break free from toxic influence. And number four, find your tribe.
0: Yes. And with regards to the toxic influence, you know those people. Yeah. You know, like my mother is one of them, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And you know, if I were to go tell her an idea or something I'm thinking about that I truly, really want, she will be the person to to uh, smash that dream into smithereens, you know. Mm. Um, and I know that. And, you know, people know who those people are. Don't talk to them about it.
1: Right. That's right. You
0: know, sometimes you cannot completely you know, uh, divorce this toxic person in your life, because maybe they are a family member, you know, well, don't talk to them about your business. Right. You know, How's business? Great. Yeah. Move on. That's it. You know, any ideas or any campaigns you're coming up with, talk to the ones that will actually support you that have, Your dream, too. Yeah. You know, find your tribe of people. Find those people, like-minded people, like yourself. That's who you speak to. Don't, you know those people. Yeah. That will say something negative to destroy you. That's called self-sabotage. When you go to those people to talk about it, to those toxic people, you are sabotaging your own self because you know right they're going to Be uh, negative yeah yeah they're gonna destroy your your goal your dream yeah. they're gonna they're gonna um make you go back into your comfort zone
1: yeah they call those dream stealers yes yeah those dream stealers oh my gosh yeah. irene this is so good uh, I know people are going to want to find you whether they want to work with you um, with court reporting with your company you're right now you're located in LA, Hawaii and what's the third location? Uh, Bremerton, Washington.
0: Bremerton, Washington. It's, yeah. It's in
1: Seattle. Awesome. And how can people get a hold of you get in touch with you if they want to use you or, or uh, find out more about your services?
0: Yeah, they can go to www.idepo,
1: I-D-E-P-O, Awesome. And they can me on LinkedIn
0: under Irene
1: Nakamura. Awesome. Yes. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Irene. This has been amazing. And I look forward to all the stuff we're going to be doing together.
0: Me too. Thank you so much.